So we are, uh, I was thinking about this, how are we going to jump back into where we were? And I think one of the processes of recovery is to go back to what is normal, whatever that looks like. So part of that is, is we're going to go back to Second Peter. And we're going we're gonna to jump back in. I took two weeks off from Second Peter and we, 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 we dealt with what we were walking through. And so I encourage you, if you weren't able to hear the last two Sundays, you can find them on YouTube. Go to our website, uh, find the link on YouTube, and you can watch the last two Sundays. But we were in Second Peter. So who remembers anything about Second Peter? <laughs> I don't think many of us do remember anything about three weeks ago. Life is like a blur. It feels like it was more like two months ago that we were in Second Peter. But it was really only three Sundays ago, four Sundays past. And so we are going to pick right back up. We're going to be in week two. And after we get through um, the next few weeks here in Second Peter, we'll finish the book of Second Peter. We're going to jump into the book of Revelation. We're going to do the first three chapters We're going to do a series called Golden Lampstands, the seven letters to the seven churches of Revelation. So be looking forward to that after 2 Peter. And then we'll do a Christmas service, and then we'll start the new year, and then we're going to go to a gospel. And I'm believing it's going to be the gospel of John. Are you guys ready for a journey through a gospel? I've been doing these small books, been doing these three chapter books, six chapter books, but now we're going to go through a gospel that's going to take a while. You can, you can buckle your seatbelt starting next year. We're going to walk through verse by verse through, I believe, the gospel of John. And we're going to see, we're going to see the, the, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, see his life up close, look at his ministry, see what, see what we can learn from the life of Christ and just see his beauty and his majesty. But today... We are in week two of knowing this. And so let's pray. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. We will jump in back into 2 Peter. Lord, we are so grateful for your hand on our lives in the middle of the storm and after the storm and all the things that you are doing. So we're so very grateful that we can be here. We can be here worshiping you and fellowshipping with brothers and sisters in Christ. We're so thankful that we can sit under your word as we walk through your word. And God, I pray that you would help us all today to receive from your word, to hear clearly what it is that you would speak to our hearts. Each of us are in different places of our spiritual journey, whether we're not a believer yet or we are a believer. God, you are going to work in our lives here today. Lord, I pray that you would help me to open my mouth, to preach your word, and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you remember, if you remember... A few weeks ago, week one of Second Peter, of knowing this in this series, Peter talks about knowing and knowledge and remembering. That was his emphasis over and over again. When you read through the three chapters of Second Peter, he wants to remind the believers this is going to be his last letter that he's going to write. And so he is going out with a bang. And he wants people to know. He wants the believers, the church to know. Remember, knowing this, knowing this. I want to say this by way of reminder. I want you to remember, do not forget. Do not forget. And so the first message we looked at in Second Peter, the first five verses, we saw and we learned about how it is important for us to remember that we have been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. That if you're a believer here today, you lack nothing. You have all that you need. You have been filled with the Holy Spirit and you have all the spiritual resources that you need for life and for godliness. And isn't it true that as believers, though this storm was bad, 
We lived out the truth of that, of, of that verse in Second Peter. We lived out that truth. We had all that we needed for life. And sometimes life brings hurricanes. Sometimes life brings destruction to homes. Sometimes life brings things that we do not want or expect. But in Christ, we have all that we need to navigate this life. And then secondly, to live a godly life. He's given us all that we need. And then we also looked at how we have been given great and very precious promises. Isn't that so good that, that we looked at in that first week all the promises, not all the promises, but a huge list of the promises of God for us as believers in Jesus Christ and what he has promised us. And they are very great and they are very precious. And so now we're going to pick up after this in verse 5. We are going to look at the next six verses here. But by way of introduction, before we read the verses, have, have you ever been around someone who said one thing but lived another way? They boasted of something, but then whenever the rubber met the road, whenever, whenever they, they, they really began, it really began to be revealed who they really are, there was a different story. Or, 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 or have you ever boasted about a skill that you don't possess? You ever been around somebody like that? I'm around it a lot when I play golf. Everyone has a big game before that first tee shot. And then you get through the round and you think, they're really not much better than me. Actually, I think I might be a little better. Doesn't happen very often for me. I don't boast about any skills in golf. Everything I ever do in, in athletic uh, ventures are, is by the mercy of God. <laughs> Only by the mercy of God. But you've been around those people. They talk a big talk, but they don't walk a big walk. They boast about something, but that's not really who they are. And even, even in something so much more important than athletics, maybe even in their character, in their integrity, they say one thing. You got to be careful for those, for, 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 some, for some contractors, right? They may come around and say, we're going to do this or that or this or that, sign a contract. You got you to verify and then verify and then verify again, right? Because sometimes people aren't who they say that they are. And so this is, in the same way, this is what Peter is going to get at here. On the foundation of all the promises we have in Christ, on the foundation that we've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness, Peter reminds us that our lives, our lives should reflect what we say. Our lives should reflect our confession. So let's look at the verses here in 2 Peter. He says this, for this very reason, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and, and your election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I see three biblical realities that build upon each other here in these verses. We're going to bring them out. Three biblical realities, and they culminate, they're going to culminate in blessed assurance. Blessed assurance. Three biblical realities as concerning the way that we should live, what it should look like as Christians, and it will culminate in the blessed assurance of our soul. So the first reality we see here is that to live for the honor of God takes maximum effort. 
maximum effort. To live for the glory or the honor of God takes maximum effort. Look at what the text says. 2 Peter 1, 5, verse A. For this very reason, make every effort. Make every effort to supplement your faith. Now, notice what he says there. That you make every effort, why? Because of these reasons. Because you've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. Because of all the great promises of God in his word that he's given us that are ours in Christ. He says, for this reason, make every effort. Why? What, why, why, why should we make every effort? Now, now this, this doesn't mean that, that through our effort that we're adding anything to our justification. It doesn't mean that by, by making an effort in pursuit of godliness that we are becoming more righteous than we were when we placed our faith in Christ at, at first. That's not what that means. He's saying that we should pursue, because of these truths, of these great truths, in light of these, our lives should look different. Our lives should look different. Scripture, scripture though, is abundantly clear that salvation is by grace through faith apart from works. But our lives should reflect the promise. And walking in godliness takes effort. So how many of you in high school tried out for a, a, a sports team? Yeah? Try out for a sports team. You, how many of you made a sports team that you tried out for? How many of you did not get playing time that you thought you should have gotten? Yeah, y'all aren't being honest. Y'all, y'all complain, y'all drove your parents crazy after every game. You'd get home and your parents would, you, 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 would, you would complain after every game. Why won't they put me on the court or on the field? And you complain. But how, how many of you, here's an, another challenging question. How many of you put as much effort as those that were starting? Now, I know some of you think, yeah, but they're just natural. They didn't have to work hard. <laughs> That's what you think, right? But this is true in athletics as it is in our spiritual life that, that, that we will often complain about not getting playing time on the court, but how many of us are actually making the effort to practice outside of practice? We think, well, the coach is, is really going after us and, he's, and we're running all these, all these drills and we're practicing, we're practicing, we're practicing, but the ones who really get the playing time, the ones who really excel are the ones who practice after practice. Make every effort Make every effort to supplement your faith. To supplement your faith. The Apostle Paul speaks to this athletic analogy. He talks about it again in 1 Corinthians 9. He says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? So we all run, right? But only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Right? If you're a believer here in Jesus Christ, we're all in the race. This is the analogy the Apostle Paul is using in 1 Corinthians 9. But run like you're trying to obtain the prize. Make every effort in pursuit of godliness. Make every effort. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So, so I don't run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Left af- at, lest after preaching to others, I should be disqualified. To live for the honor of God will take maximum effort on our part. Peter is trying to remind us of that. For this very reason, for all, because of all that Christ has done, would we just give half of our life to him? Would we just give half of our effort to him? Would we just give half of our pursuit to him? I, mean, I remember whenever I first met my wife-to-be, 
I wasn't going to win her over with a half-hearted approach. I wasn't going to win her over with just kind of this lackadaisical kind of, hey, I think you're kind of cute, but left it at that. She needed to see something else other than flowery words. She needed to see a life that reflected a heart that had been transformed. And I'm telling you, my heart was transformed. (laughs) Transformed. It's still transformed every day. I have an amazing life. And so, but I just can't rest on my laurels now even, right? Just because I told you I love you when I married you doesn't mean that's that's all I got to do. Living for the honor of God takes maximum continual pursuit of the Lord. I think far often we think that once we've received Christ, hey, we're good. No more pursuit. No, this is a lifelong pursuit of the glory of God. It's a lifelong pursuit of his righteousness and his holiness. And and it's a lifelong pursuit of, of loving him. We deceive ourselves if we believe that we will become more like Christ without active cooperation with the Holy Spirit and the means of grace that God has given us. We deceive ourselves. If we, if we think that we are going to become like Christ, I'm going to become like Christ in his character. I'm going to become like Christ in my, my affections and my loves. But I'm just going to go about it halfway. Peter's reminding us today to live for the honor of God. Make every effort. Make every effort. You know, there is a false view of conversion that tells us that we can be born again without any visible sign of heart transformation. This idea, hey, I signed a card, I raised my hand, I confessed. But when we become born again, there's going to begin to be a transformation that takes place in our life. We're going to begin to, to show visible signs of that transformation in our life. It's going to begin to be seen by those all around us. And that is the beginning of a journey of the pursuit of Christ. But those who claim to be Christians and they can, take, they can take or leave going to church. They can take it or leave it, Bible reading and prayer. They can take or leave it, hey, it really, you know, when I have time. That's not the reflection of somebody who has, been, who has been enraptured with the beauty of Christ. Who has been forgiven of all of their sins. Somebody who's been forgiven. Somebody who's been redeemed makes the pursuit their number one goal. Conviction, it's convicting for me. Just as it's convicting for all of us. We all have things that, that we prioritize in front of God. But the, but the Apostle Peter is reminding us here today that we must make every effort. You know, Jesus talked about following him. It's not talked about very often, but it really is true. Following Jesus is not just agreeing with right doctrine about Christ and the resurrection. Following Jesus is dying to ourselves and taking up our cross and following him. Jesus said that. Look at Luke 14. Now great crowds accompanied him. There will always be crowds where Christ is. There will always be crowds where Christ comes, but not everyone in the crowd is going to take, is going to make maximum effort to pursue him. Great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and he said to them, he looked at the crowd, if anyone comes to me, And does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Wow, you ever read that before and thought, what does that mean? Hate? I don't believe that Jesus is saying we have to literally hate. He means that no one, no one as a disciple, no one, not my mom, not my dad, not my wife, not my children. No one supersedes my relationship with Christ. If 
if, if any one of my family members pushes me in the direction that says I will not follow Christ, I will choose Christ to pursue him first. You have to leave all to follow Christ. Jesus said, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. This is not a popular version of Christianity. This is not a version of Christianity that's a, really a good preach, right? Right? People don't want to hear that. But this is the gospel. Our Lord said this. It takes maximum effort. You don't, you don't enter into the kingdom sideways, backwards, half-heartedly, one foot in, one foot out, one foot over the fence, another foot on the other side of the fence. You're either all in or you're not in, right? Maximum effort, full pursuit. So listen, if you're here today and that's been the reflection of your Christian life here today, you need to examine your heart. See if you are in the faith. Examine your heart. Say, Lord, have I been living a so-called Christian life and I have not actually been pursuing you? Have I not actually been pursuing you? Examine your heart. Say, Lord, and and I, I promise you, if you're a believer here in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will convict your heart and will lead you towards repentance. Repentance. It's it's another word that's not very popular here today. Repentance. It's repentance into the kingdom, but and it's repentance while you're in the kingdom. A lifestyle of putting God first, repenting and following him. Following Christ is a total commitment of our life. And becoming more like him every day will not happen without effort on our part. We must cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit in our life if we're going to become more like Jesus. I need it so much. The the temptations in our world are great. The distractions in our world are great. And like you, I am like you. It's easy to be distracted. But may we, because of what he's done, because of all the great and very precious promises we have in him, may we make every effort. This is the first principle we see here. And it builds up onto this next one. So the, the next principle we see in the text is that pursuit of Christ's likeness will produce fruit. So becoming like Christ, walking in godliness, will take maximum effort on our part. And then this pursuit of Christ's likeness will produce fruit. No, notice Second Peter 1, back at the text. He says, supplement your faith with virtue. Virtue with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. The apostle gives a list of attributes or virtues that will be developed in our life. Now notice he uses the phrase, supplement your faith. So it's this idea of maximum pursuit, maximum effort. I'm pursuing the Lord with all of my heart. I'm not, I, I, the, God is not second place in my life. Sports don't take priority over Christ. My earthly relationships don't take priority over Christ. Nothing takes priority over Christ. I'm giving maximum effort to pursue him. And when I do that, fruit, these virtues, will be developed. He says, supplement your faith. So what does that mean, supplement? Who in here takes supplements? You take supplements? Anybody been taking a little bit more vitamin D lately? Some zinc? Been taking some zinc, right? Been getting out in the sun, supplementing vitamins, right? Vitamin supplements. We want to supplement, right? Because we want our health to be maintained. It's so interesting that we will, we will go to the end of the moon, end of the earth. We'll go all over the world looking for supplements and drugs and things to boost our health, right? 
But how often will we not pursue these supplements that will build our faith in Christ? It's amazing. But notice, notice what it says here. Peter does not say create faith by adding these things to your life. He's saying these supplements, these virtues will strengthen your faith. So what are the supplements that Peter lists that will build our faith and strengthen our faith? The first one is virtue. And it simply means excellence of character. Excellence of character. May we walk in excellence of character. May we be people of integrity and character that our yes is our yes and our no is our no. That when we say we'll do something, we're going to do it. That when we say we're going to pay something, we're going to pay it. We have character, excellence of character. Knowledge is the next one. When we pursue knowledge, but what type of knowledge? It's truth comprehended and applied. So, so, it's one thing to hear knowledge, and many of you, you're hearing the truth of God's word as it's brought out in First Peter, but if all you hear is knowledge and you don't apply it to your life, it meant nothing to you. It means nothing. It's just white noise. It's coming in your ears, and if you don't actually apply it, knowledge, true knowledge, is knowledge that is heard, but is applied and is lived. That's so powerful because that will transform our lives. Virtue, knowledge, self-control which is simply self-discipline. Steadfastness. How many of you need the virtue of steadfastness right now? May we pursue steadfastness. May we not give up. May we not waver. May we not, may we not look at all the things that are going on around us and just throw in the towel, but may we stand on the promises of God and stay steadfast. Amen? Patiently persevering in what is right. And then godliness. It means to live with reverence towards God. Brotherly affection, love for fellow believers. You ever have a hard time loving a brother or sister in Christ? Yeah? Have you ever, have, have you ever had a hard time loving me? You don't have to say that. <laughs> Just keep that between you and, and the Lord. I don't need an email. I'm off of Facebook, so you can't find me there. But it's true, right? We talk about how often within our biological families we can get on each other's nerves and live around each other. But I want you to tell you, uh, after a couple of weeks of living here in the church with some other church members here, living, after a while, you're kind of like, I need new scenery. I need my own space. They live differently than me. Not that we don't love each other, but you do life with brothers and sisters in Christ. You realize you're different. You realize you think different. You act different. But we are called We are called to pursue brotherly affection, to make allowances for each other's faults. We all have faults, don't we? We all have faults. And we need this virtue of brotherly affection. We need to make allowance. I need to make allowance for your faults. And say, hey, they make mistakes like I make mistakes. And I'm going to walk in forgiveness. This applies not only in the church, but in your marriage. And with your kids. And on your job. With coworkers brotherly affection and then love love this love word love is not just like any word love this word love in second peter translated agape it's the god kind of love and this love means it is a love of total commitment that's the kind of love that we need well that's the virtue that we need developed in our life so the apostle peter is saying supplement your faith with these virtues brotherly affection and love and discipline and kindness and gentleness, all these other virtues you can think of. And this is clearly not an exhaustive list of ways in which we can pursue Christ's likeness, but these stand as a foundation for us to build on. 
And when we pursue Christ with maximum effort, not halfway, not backwards, not sidestepping, but maximum effort of pursuit of Christ, fruit will be developed. A believer should desire to see Christ-like virtues developed. Notice back at the text, 2 Peter 1 verse 8, it says this, For if these qualities are yours and increasing, right? So he lists these virtues, right? He says that these qualities are yours and increasing. What, 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 what does that point to? It points to the reality that we're, we're here right now. We're not where we need to be, but we're going to increase. It's a picture of progressive sanctification. So I may not walk in brotherly affection as I should. I may not walk in self-discipline as I should right now, but it's not about perfection. It's about direction. It's about direction. I'm making maximum effort towards these qualities. Making maximum effort. You know, what's beautiful about our Lord and our relationship with him is that he calls us sons and daughters. We're children of God. When you become a Christian, you are adopted into the family of God. How many of you, you have kids and you discipline your kids? You, do you discipline your kids? How about grandparents? You discipline your grandkids? And you look at your, you look at your kids who aren't disciplining your grandkids like you think they should and you're, you're trying to fill in the gaps. <laughs> my mom's my mom thankful for my mom being out of the hospital she's at our home right now and uh i think the last couple of days she's you know like we are oblivious to the noise so like lincoln and reagan are fighting and we're just chilling you know and my mom's just like why don't they do something <laughs> like stop these stop these scoundrels right here they're going nuts but it's just like hey this is the insane asylum right here this we are used to it it just becomes normal for us with kids like that. Um, but th- so like our Lord disciplines us. And this is a part of this process. So that we're pursuing Christ with all of our heart. Maximum effort. We are, these virtues are, are ours and they're increasing. But sometimes the Lord has to discipline us. Look at what Hebrews 12 says. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? That's what my mom's thinking. (laughs) What's going on? Now listen, this is so powerful. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, what does it do? It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it pursuit of Christ's likeness with maximum effort will produce fruit it's going to produce fruit whether you're doing it by your pursuit or it comes through discipline from our father he's going to discipline us and we're going to grow we're going to grow into Christ's likeness and this is what is building upon look at back at second peter uh, verse one uh, uh, chapter one verse eight it says this and these, this fruit that's being developed in us, whether it's through maximum effort or the discipline of the Lord, it says they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you want to be effective and fruitful? You want to be effective and fruitful? Yes, amen. We want to be effective and fruitful. Pursue the Lord. Pursue the Lord. You want to be effective and fruitful? Yield to the discipline of our Father. Pursue the Lord with all of your heart and yield to the discipline of your heavenly father. And if you will pursue those things, 
you will, you will not be ineffective or unfruitful. You're going to progressively grow into Christ-likeness. You know, there's something about challenges in our life right now that really bring out the worst in us, don't they? They bring out the best, but they can also bring out the worst. And I think we're all being tested, are we not? During these times, our patience, patience about timing, when are they going to come and pick up the debris? When is the insurance adjuster going to come? Is he, it, it, what about my deductible? It's so high. Are they going to give me a whole roof or, or half a roof or, 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 or whatever? You go through the list of all these different things. And our patience and our joy and our long suffering is being tested. It's during these times of testing that the Lord works in us. He disciplines us and he's wanting to develop these fruits and these attributes of Christ's likeness so that we can be effective and fruitful in the work that he's called us to. This is the Christian life. This is what the Apostle Peter is reminding us of. Pursuit of godliness will take maximum effort. And as you are giving maximum effort to your relationship with God, fruit will be developed. Then lastly here today, a Christ-like life gives assurance of salvation. A Christ-like life gives assurance of salvation. Notice what the text says it builds here. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind. Someone says I'm a Christian, but they lack continuing, increasing virtue of godliness. Someone said whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm, to confirm your calling and your election. For if you practice these things, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter starts talking about our position in Christ, our calling, our election, our being found in Christ, in salvation. And he starts saying that if you have these qualities, you'll never fall. If you're pursuing these things, you're going you're gonna to continue in your walk with Christ and you're going to know, you're going to have it confirmed in your heart that you belong to Christ. And I know one thing is true, that no matter who you, who, what crowd, size crowd you're talking to, there are people here that struggle with assurance of salvation. Am I really saved? Am I really born again? Am I really? Here's some reasons why people struggle with assurance of salvation. One, they lack understanding of the complete work of redemption. They lack understanding of the complete work of redemption. They don't know that when it was complete, it was complete. They don't remember, they don't understand that when Jesus said, it is finished, it was finished. It was done. Nothing more to be added to it. And what builds upon that is that they've been taught a false gospel. And what false gospel might they have been taught? They might have been taught a false gospel that told them that, that to be continue to maintain your righteousness before God that you have to do good works so that you can maintain your righteousness. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible does, it does not say that we maintain our justification before God by our good works. That it was a once for all sacrifice to Christ on the cross that forever, because of that sacrifice for all of those who place their faith in Christ apart from works, they are justified. But there are many false gospels out there that will tell you that to stay in the faith, to be, to stay a Christian, to stay in the state of grace, you have to maintain that by good works. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's another reason why some people struggle with assurance of, of salvation. Maybe they made a superficial commitment to Christ. 
Maybe, maybe they didn't count the cost. You remember we read in the Gospel of Luke? Jesus said, if you come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. Maybe you started following Christ for fire insurance. You any fire insurance people here? Have you ever known somebody that's a fire insurance Christian? You started following Christ because, hey, I, I, heaven sounds good, hell sounds bad, so I'm just going gonna, gonna to pray the prayer, raise my hand, walk the aisle, and I'm going to make a, a confession. But they really did not count the cost. It's a superficial commitment. Scripture speaks about that. Or maybe here's another reason why people struggle with assurance of salvation. They struggle with besetting sins. As a Christian, do you still sin? Yeah, this is what we've been talking about, progressive sanctification. We, these attributes are increasing, these good virtues, but sometimes we still have things that we don't want to do, as, as the Apostle Paul says, the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. So sometimes we struggle with assurance of salvation because we're struggling with sin in our life, and we need to repent of that sin. We need to acknowledge it and confess our sins one to another so we can be healed. So these are reasons why people struggle with assurance of salvation. But one of the greatest evidences of genuine salvation is the pursuit of and the demonstration of Christ-like attributes. And Jesus' parable to the sower gives us a clear understanding on this subject. Let's look at this. Matthew 13. It says this. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Right? They don't have any understanding. They hear the gospel, but they don't have any understanding. The evil one comes and snatches it. Verse 20. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one that hears the word and, re- and, and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, endures for a while. This is a superficial confession. Endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls, he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But Hurricane Ida comes. Right? The cares of the world. Hurricane Ida comes. Or bankruptcy comes. Or loss of job comes. The cares of this world. Sickness, disease comes. The cares of this world comes. And the deceitfulness of riches. What do they do? They choke out the word and it proves unfruitful. Unfruitful. But notice the last one. Ask for what was sown on good soil. This is a soil that's been prepared by the Holy Spirit and the word of God. This is the one who hears and does what? Understand. It's not superficial. They hear the gospel. They understand it, that God is holy and they are sinful. They hear it. They understand it. And what happens? They indeed bear fruit. Notice what it says. And in one case, these people that are bearing fruit, these genuine believers, some are a hundredfold, some are sixty and another 30. Different levels of fruit, but there will be fruit of salvation. Do you believe that here today? Back to the sport, back to the sport analogy in high school. We're all on the same team, but we're all at different levels of development. Some 30, some 60, some 100, but we're all on the team, right? So this is the building that's happening in Second Peter here maximum effort. It takes maximum effort to become like Christ. You must pursue him with all of your heart. And that maximum effort, when you're pursuing Christ with all all of your heart, fruit will be developed. And fruit in your life of Christ's likeness gives you a sweet assurance of salvation. Christ-like qualities being developed in our life stand as strong encouragement that the Lord is at work in our life 
through the power of the Spirit to conform us into the image of the Son. And we are, we are not perfect, but we are becoming more like Christ every day if we belong to him. We're still going to make mistakes. We're still going to open our mouths and say things we shouldn't say. We're still going to sin. But if we are his and we belong to him and we are pursuing him and he's developing these attributes in us, we can stand in a sweet assurance of salvation knowing that, that I am his and he is mine. You know, it's interesting. The one writing this about calling and election and confirmation of being in Christ, is Peter. Isn't it interesting that he's writing that? Do you know the life of Peter? Do you remember the Gospels? What did Peter do? He was a disciple. And what did he do? He denied the Lord. Peter was the one giving maximum effort, wasn't he? Jesus came and told him this. Look at what, look at what Jesus told him in Luke 22. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brother. And Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you even know me. Peter makes this bold declaration of faith. He says, I will go to death for you, Lord. And Jesus says, oh, Peter, you're going to deny that you even knew me three times before this, this rooster crows. Peter, it's like us, right? So in all of this talk of maximum pursuit and maximum effort, and pursuing Christ-like qualities and virtues, we must understand that even in the midst of all of that, it is still Christ's work in us. It is only because of him that we can do anything. Peter, who makes these bold declarations, God, I will pursue you. I will go to death for you. I will give maximum effort for you. Christ said, Satan's trying to sift you like wheat. He said, but I've prayed for you, that your faith would not fail, and that when you've returned, you will strengthen your brother's. You know, Peter fulfilled the prophecy that Christ said. He fulfilled the prophecy. And even after the fulfillment of that prophecy and he denied the Lord three times, looking at Jesus in his eyes, he denied him. Even after the resurrection, Peter goes. He says, basically, I'm not useful. I denied our Lord. And what does he do? He goes back fishing. And he looks at the other disciples. He says, are you going to come with me? So they go back. They go back fishing. And what happens when they went back fishing? They're fishing. And what were they? They were unfruitful. They toiled all night. Didn't catch anything. Unfruitful in their pursuit of the, of the, the calling they used to have. And then there's, there's a man that's on the beach. Calls out. Put your net on the other side. And Peter recognizes this is the Lord. So he throws off his outer garment and he jumps into the water and he swims to Jesus. And when he gets to Jesus, Jesus is on the beach and he's got, he's got fish and hot, he's got hot coals and fish and bread because Jesus doesn't have to fish to get fish. He says fish and fish are fish. And it's there. And he had to toil all night for anything. And Jesus has this beautiful conversation with the disciple that gave maximum effort but failed. And I love this conversation. Listen to this conversation. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Lord, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. 
He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this to Peter, he said, follow me. What is so powerful about this section are the two uses of the word love. Jesus looks at Peter the first time and says, Peter, do you agapeo me, agape me? The word agape means a love of total commitment. And Peter says, Jesus, you know that I love you. And the word love that Peter used was the word phileo. It's a different Greek word for love. And that word phileo means a a love of affection. So this is what Jesus asked Peter. Peter, are you totally committed to me? Are you giving me maximum effort? And, And Peter says, Lord, you know, you know that I only have affection for you. Feed my sheep. Jesus comes back again and says, Peter, Do you agape me? Are you totally committed to me? Are you giving maximum effort, Peter? Do you love me with all of your heart? And Peter says the second time, Jesus, you know that I only phileo you. You know that I only have affection for you. Jesus comes back the third time and says, Peter, do you have affection for me? Do you phileo me? Notice what he says there. He even puts into question whether Peter actually even loves him at any level. He says, Peter, do you really actually have affection for me? And that's when the text says Peter was grieved. And that's when Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know everything. You know that I only have affection for you and that I'm not totally committed to you. But Jesus says, feed my lambs. (laughs) This story is good news for us. It's good news for us because how often are we not giving maximum effort? How often do we only have affection but not total, not total commitment? How often, how often do we open our mouth and put our foot in it and make all these bold statements of commitment but we really are not committed? But what's so powerful about this story is that no matter where we are on our spiritual journey, this pursuit of Christ, what's the foundation of this story is the fact that Christ Praise for us. In the prophecy that Christ gave Peter of his denial of him, he says, you're going to deny me, but I am praying for you. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Peter understood failure, but he also understood Christ's intercessory prayer for him. He also understood the discipline of the Lord. He understood that the Lord was committed to seeing the work of sanctification for the glory of God completed in his life. So I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey, but it is going to take maximum effort on your part to pursue godliness. And those virtues are going to be developed. But wherever you are on that journey, you're still going to make mistakes. And the same God who restores and works with Peter, the one who wrote this letter to us, is the same God that is committed to you, no matter where you are, to develop Christ-like character in you. Is that not good news? 
That's good news. I, I just preach myself happy. I'm good. I feel encouraged. Paul says this in Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's good news. Some people struggle with the doctrine of the assurance of salvation. I don't struggle with it at all. Do you know why? Because I'm thankful for it. Jesus said in John 17, when he's praying to the Father, he says, all that you've given me, the enemy will not snatch one from my hand. When I belong to him, I am his forever. He has adopted me into the beloved, adopted me into the family. I was an outcast. I was a rebel. I didn't belong to him. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. I had no right to be called a child of God, but by grace through faith, apart from works, God saved me and redeemed me and called me his own and set me on the pathway of pursuit and discipline so he could make me more like Christ so I could live for his glory so that the world can see the beauty of Christ through a broken person. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The assurance of salvation is ultimately based on the fact that God is committed to bringing to completion what he started in you. Amen? Would you bow your heads this morning? I believe.